This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the best way to cure idle hands was to build something, so keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife, and by WNC Original Music, music of the Carolinas and of the nation. Do yourself a favor and visit WNCOriginalMusic.com and listen to their podcast today, and by Folklore Brewing and Meadery, quite literally the best brew in Alabama. We're going to have a tune here from the blue-eyed Bettys. Fog is rising In the Blue Ridge Mountains Where it lingers all the time Sun is shining In the deep dark holler Where you can't see past the pines Yoo-hoo!
This portion of our program is brought to you by visitnorthalabama.org or hashtag visitnorthal. Travel to visit the 16 North Alabama counties and make this state what it is. Festivals, attractions, restaurants, and outdoor activities all over North Alabama. Blunt County, Cherokee County, Colbert County, Coma County, DeKalb County, Etowah County, Franklin County, Jackson County, Lauderdale County, Lawrence County, Limestone County, Madison County, Marion County, Marshall County, Morgan County, and Winston County. Try saying that three times fast. You guys can do it better in North Alabama, whatever it is. So visit NorthAlabama.org or hashtag visit NorthAL. White, bright, silver moon, mountain road in early June, we will take this on. We will take this on. Soft, sweet, sings the creek. Stone by stone, we climb the peak. We will take this on. We will take this on. I can only wonder what good could have come from a youth without fear of the unknown or young love but with you I'm prepared to try oh but with you I'm prepared to Soft, 
the creek. Stone by stone we climb the peak. We will take this on. We will take this on. Mountain rolling, early June, we will take this on. We will take this on. Hey, you are listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host today, Sean Dietrich, and it is a bona fide pleasure coming to you live via the podcast airwaves or the radio waves all over this fine nation, or to your minivan stereo system, or to your tiny, teeny, little, insignificant cell phone speakers that probably make my voice sound somewhat akin to Alvin and the Chipmunks, or perhaps I sound like the late, great Elmer Fudd. Who knows, you're listening to it on the cell phone because you are probably poor and you cannot afford earphones. Well, join the crowd. That's how I listen to things because I don't have those fancy schmancy flugel-dugel rancy-tancy earphones everybody wears all throughout the public. You know what I'm talking about? Them white things that are stuck in their ears. They never take them out. And so sometimes they're having a conversation and you think they're talking to you and they ain't talking to you. They're talking to, you know, their mother up in Pennsylvania or something. And you can tell this by the way Pennsylvanians talk. They have a very uh, a special accent. It's never y'all. It's yuns. Yuns. Like Y-I-N-Z. You know, I went to Pennsylvania. And when I was in Pennsylvania, the first thing they asked me to do when I was at the grocery store and I was ordering a sandwich, they, they, they asked me to repeat the name of the sandwich. And the sandwich I was ordering was a ham sandwich. And sometimes if you say it fast, the only word that comes out fast is sandwich. You know, it doesn't have the W, but the word ham is always said nice and slow. Ham. H-A-Y-U-M. I know a lot of people are probably saying that right now. Ham. It just feels natural. Ham. Well... I'll quit, I'll quit talking about that. Uh, I did order that ham sandwich, and the lady came to me, and she looked at me. She said, you want a what? I said, a ham sandwich. She looked back into the back room. She said, Eugene, get over here. Eugene had to come, and I had to say it four more times. I got a free sandwich out of the deal, and this is really, really a benefit that I had never foreseen being a southerner traveling above the Mason-Dixon line. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. The way people perceive us is wrong. You ever notice that? The way people perceive the South is, it's one of the great travesties of our world. They hear an accent and they think you're slow. I don't understand why. Well, I'd like to talk about something today, something that uh, is... There's something I've been thinking about a lot, and I can see the two yahoos behind the recording glass looking at me, giving me the uh, – it's it's a motion that you see football coaches give their, their players when they're trying to tell them to stretch it out, keep it going. This is a very new thing for me, talking with one microphone in a studio. I'm used to talking in front of audiences. I've spent the last several years speaking – full-time in front of audiences and i've had some very swanky gigs 
such as I spoke a few weeks ago at Craters of the Moon, Alabama. And uh, then after that, I had a really swanky gig at the Vertigo Villas retirement home. You know, I think I spoke in the middle of chair yoga class. Vertigo Villas. Everybody there walks kind of sideways. Uh, I'm used to the interaction, is what I'm trying to say. I'm used to people looking at me uh, like they look at, you know, like a dog looks at a human once he's made a sound that's very unfamiliar. They tilt their head a little bit. I'm used to that. I'm used to the sound of people so awkward and uncomfortable with whatever I'm talking about that they got to laugh. And that, that feeds me. Well, I got none of that here, so I feel quite foreign and looking at these two uh, young men behind the recording glass booths who are trying to communicate to me with fluent hand gestures does something to my confidence when I see a young man freaking out behind the glass who's wearing headphones and waving his hands in the air back and forth like I'm about to make a 10-pointer jump shot. <laughs> well, anyway, what am I talking about? And I don't know. That's the thing. You got to wax on and, and, and talk about all something that's ridiculous. Well, as it happens today, I actually have something I want to talk about. Something that I think is actually a little important when it comes to modern Americana. Now, I guess to start off this, this dealio, I should tell you that, that one of my favorite shows of all time, the favorite show of all time, is my, is my coup de grace. My magnum opus, my my end all show, is the Andy Griffith show. Now, I love Andy Griffith. You probably know that if you know anything about me. I'm very open about my flagrant appreciation for Andy Griffith. I think this was the purest Americana show that we will ever have. I can't think of another one that comes close to it. Now I like all the other little shows. I like all the other classic American shows, but nothing touches Andy Griffith, and certainly Mayberry RFD didn't even come close. In fact, it's hard for me to watch the episodes of Andy Griffith after season five when Barney Fife leaves the cast. Oh my God, everything changes so harshly when we've lost Barney Fife, and when the producers tried to replace Barney Fife with Jerry Van Dyke, do what? Uh-uh. Jerry Van Dyke ain't got no business standing in Barney Fife's shoes. Now, God bless me for saying it. I think Jerry Van Dyke's a fine human being. And I love his brother, Dick Van Dyke, too. But not in the role of a Mayberry deputy. And then the other Yahoo that brought in after that, well, that guy was so incompetent, he belonged behind the recording studio glass like these two guys who are waving their hands at me. Well, I love the black and white episodes. I love the cast. I love Aunt B. I love Opie, Opie Taylor. I love Barney Fife. I love Ellie Walker. I love Floyd the Barber. I love Otis Campbell, Delma Lou, Gomer, Goober. I love them all, but I love Andy. He definitely is my favorite. I was at Andy Griffith's hometown in Mount Airy. Uh, Mount Airy, North Carolina. Sorry, that word comes out kind of, kind of sloppy for someone like me. Mount Airy is a beautiful place. It is nestled within the North Carolina mountains, and it is, it is Mayberry is what it is. 
It is Mayberry incarnate. You can walk the streets and you can see these these wonderful storefronts looming over you just like they did Andy. And I even got to sit in the chair, the haircut chair, where the real Floyd the Barber used to cut Andy's hair. And I got to meet uh, the real Floyd the Barber's son, who still owns and maintains that place, and he can give you a fine Hollywood haircut, and by which I mean he will take the scissors and hold them about six inches from your head, not touching a hair, just like they used to do on television. Love Andy Griffith. God, I love Andy Griffith. They got me a pork chop sandwich at the Snappy Lunch. The Snappy Lunch is downtown. It's this little tiny place with a with a little hanging sign and a Coca Cola emblem on the sign, just like they used to have. And it's it's nondescript, and they've got this big glass window sitting in the front where you can peer in and you can watch someone fry pork chops and put them on sandwiches. If you get the works, they'll put this thing on a bun. They'll put f- fried onions on it, lettuce, tomato, pickles mustard it's great you can sit in there and you can talk to people who come from all over the nation just to see this town they got an andy griffith museum they got all sorts of themed stores by all means this is not branson missouri this is not disney world but to me it was the promised land and for my birthday my wife did something very very special for me very special Something that involved Andy Griffiths that I I could not believe could even be done. But this was, this was, in my life, this ranks what she did for me on my birthday this year. Ranks is one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. Because I love old TV. You know, things have changed. Things have really, really changed in the American entertainment landscape. Now, I try to keep up with the modern shows coming out only because i have seen all the old shows of everything else and i want something new to watch just like a male so i want to be entertained so a lot of my young friends are always telling me stuff that's on tv or that's the misnomer nothing's on tv anymore it's all online but they'll tell me about these new hip shows and and how i ought to watch them i love to listen to people talk about what's on right now and and how you have to watch it and how you're gonna like it no matter what you're gonna love it and usually they're wrong because these new hip shows, for one thing, just don't land with me. Everything's changed. Like I said, for one thing, if you want to watch these shows, you have to subscribe to a major online subscription streaming service. And once you've paid your pound of flesh, you get on this streaming service and you scroll through about 7 million colorful graphics, all featuring some half-clothed supermodel. They're all fighting for your attention. And you scroll through these things, scroll, 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 until finally you settle on turning the TV off and going to bed because you're tired. You just spent four hours of your life scrolling to find something. Maybe you even stopped and watched one or two and you decided, oh, I can't watch this. Or, or if you're going to try to watch something, your other option, instead of scrolling like that, is to go to the dreaded search bar. You know what I'm talking about? That dreaded search bar. You get that dreaded search bar pulled up and then you have to type in the 42-letter name of your show using nothing but your keypad on your remote, which is about the size of a chiclet. 
This is hard, hard work, and it takes about 40 minutes to finish typing the name of your show in using nothing but your thumbs and this series of coordinated movements trying to navigate a little blinking icon across a keyboard to type in the entire name of whatever the heck you're going to watch. This is madness. This is madness. When you finally do settle on something, chances are you're going to find one of these modern shows that everybody watches that is real heavy on the sex pill. Now, I'm I'm not a prude, and I'm about as much fun as the next working stiff. But when you tune into some kind of show and a young male leading actor rips his shirt off throughout the course of that episode at least six times and his girlfriend... His girlfriend is a woman who has physical proportions that would make Dolly Parton look like a Girl Scout. I can't concentrate on eating my Fritos. I can't do it. I can't concentrate on watching a television plot while this kind of stuff's going on. I guess TV producers just can't imagine that any viewer out there in TV land or online streaming service land would want to watch something that is not about two people getting busy. But they do. They do want to watch something about two people not getting busy. Or else the shows like the Andy Griffith show would have never made it. He was not just a show. He was an icon. I'll never forget. One of my earliest memories in childhood, earliest memory I have, in fact, this is as early as it goes for me. I'm sitting in my living room, this den. I can even look and see some of the furniture. It's just this little tiny glimpse. This memory only lasts for about two seconds. And I'm chewing on something. It's unclear what I'm chewing on, but it's it's a wooden object. I believe it's it's an army man figurine. And I'm chewing on it. I chewed on everything at that age. I even chewed on the legs of coffee tables and fine furniture. And on this console television... This brown console television with the black and white screen that's so black and white it's a little bit blue is the face of Andy Griffith. That's my memory. He was a present entity of my childhood. Andy Griffith, America's daddy. That's my memory, the earliest one I got. Aside from the memory of me when I was three years old peeing off the front porch of Miss Frankie's house. Right there in public. When I was three years old. I didn't know it was wrong to pee in public. All I knew was that my father, every night after after work, he'd come home and he would perform a nightly ritual, which he called standing off the back porch steps. He called it watering the old rose bushes. And I thought he was everything, so I would join in, join the party. Together, my father and I would water the old rose bushes. But those are my earliest memories. When I got a little older, I still got memories involving Andy. I remember seeing him on The Tonight Show. He was on The Tonight Show, which is also something that's changed. The Tonight Show used to be very different. Had a big old live band they used to play. I remember Doc Severson playing his mm, that music. Good Lord, the music was good back then. But Andy Griffith was on The Tonight Show, and he was, he was walking across the stage. He was wearing a plaid shirt and a corduroy blazer. Yeah. Never forget that. A corduroy blazer. I watched him. He was elderly. Had white hair and saggy jowls and that kind, kind voice. He was folksy. He was funny. He was happy. And I knew from that moment on, I wanted to dedicate the rest of my life to locating a corduroy, corduroy blazer 
and I did. I've got three of them at the house, and I wear them. I wear them when I do my shows, my little, you know, my little chair yoga class instructionals at Vertigo Village. <laughs> well, what I'm trying to say is Anna Griffith was very important to me. I'll never forget when I was playing a gig. I used to play music uh, quasi-professionally, actually. I, I would play in the evenings. I would work construction in the day for a big part of my life, and I would play music in the evenings uh, with my friends. I've been in, I mean, just too many bands to count. That's not saying much. In the little area I live in, there used to. There wasn't nearly the amount of people there are here now, but used to. There were only enough musicians in our world to put together maybe one or two good bands. And so everybody kind of circulated. We were like we were like extra actors in the BBC entertainment system. We rotated. You ever notice in the BBC television shows actors they kinda they're all they play one part on one show, another part on the next show. They they just have this little group of actors that rotate. Well that was me. I was I was a piano player, a guitar player, or an accordionist. And I would uh, play these gigs. I was on my way to play a gig in South Georgia on the 4th of July. I will never forget this. 2012, the 4th of July. And I was driving, driving, and I passed this little convenience store station. I needed to get gas, and I needed to get some chili cheese Fritos. In a bad way, I needed my chili cheese Fritos and a cup of coffee. This was my traveling food. So I gassed up. I was sitting there, and I saw that little newspaper machine sitting on the sidewalk. And I saw a familiar face, just a little, little face in the top corner. It wasn't the front page headline, but it was a headline on the front page. And I finished gassing up my truck. I walked to the curb, and I popped in my change, and I opened it up. I shook open the newspaper, and it said, Goodbye, Andy. Oh. No, it couldn't be. I opened him up to page three, and there was his face, just as just as Andy Griffith looking as you please. That old hair parted right down the middle, looking like an advertisement for Brill Cream. That was Andy. He was 86 years old, died of a heart attack on the 3rd of July. Well, this was just life. He was gone. They'd life Andy off the TV today because everything's changed. Everything has changed. I guess something that really, I hate to, to go so far as to say it irks me, but I miss the time when television and entertainment and movies, theater movies, didn't go to all the trouble to hide that what you were watching was just a TV movie, or just a, a little miniseries, or just a B-movie. B-movies. Nothing is more purely American than a B-movie. And these movies, way back then, didn't used to try so hard to hide the fact that they were a B-movie. You can look at the movie posters and you know that what you're fixing to watch is truly going to suck. And they advertise this openly. And somehow, this even made it a little bit better. I mean, you could look at the movie posters and you could tell what you was about to watch was a B movie to the nth degree. They all had the same elements on their posters. They had a cowboy with his gun 
perched right against his chest in a wagon train behind him, or a picture of a spaceship flying from outer space with a big old ray coming right out the bottom, or a picture of a sea creature, or a picture of you know pirates, or a picture of a gumshoe detective about to solve some sort of mystery, or a a picture of a 50-foot sea monster holding Jaja Gabor in his claws. These were B-movie posters, and they were always written in that kind of text that was drippy text, or it was bold, adventurous-looking text. You knew you were going to go see something that was awful. I remember in uh, fifth grade, Ben Hite's father, Ben Hite, and thought of him a long time. His father used to hold these wonderful sleepovers for all the boys in the fifth grade, and they were B-movie marathons. Ben Hite and his father were B-movie marathon connoisseurs. Oh, my God. They could watch thousands of them lined up in a row, these double-featured kind of movies. And they would invite the entire fifth grade boys over to his house, Ben Hite. And we would watch these B-movies, and we would just load up on jawbreakers and sugary things that will rot your teeth out. And we would talk well into the night about girls and which girls were looking more like girls every day and which girls still had cooties. And we would watch these cheesy movies. These cheesy movies. Most of these movies involved the citizens of Tokyo running around like chickens with the head cut off, screaming words at the camera and pointing into the sky at this large reptilian-looking creature who was knocking over buildings. And no matter how many words these Japanese actors screamed, they could scream an entire paragraph. You could see their mouth move, and it would just be like, you know, war and peace, they were quoting. No matter what they screamed, the English-dubbed soundtrack would always say, Look, Godzilla! Godzilla! And that was it. I mean, I had this feeling that we were, we were only getting half the story there. But this was a wonderful time to be a, to be a kid. You'd watch these movies, and, and Ben Hite's daddy, just he'd sit there on the couch eating Fritos, as a matter of fact, and he would show his enthusiasm by making noises without using his mouth. Purely, purely entertainment from its from its conception to its execution it was good in every way shape or form today today everything's based heavily on that sex appeal i mean when a when a guy rips off his shirt and exposes himself to the world with this big message that says hey look everybody i hadn't eaten carbs since i was in sixth grade i start to feel a little bit bad about myself I mean, I look down immediately while he's doing that on the television screen. And I quit eating my chili cheese Fritos. And I noticed that my body, my body makes me self-conscious. Because compared to, you know, keto diet champion of the world up there on the screen, I look like John Candy. Why would I want to watch something that makes me feel so self-conscious about myself? Well, that's, that's life. That's life right now. Everybody points to these people who look like plasticized supermodels. Well, what happened to the old days? Andy Griffith looked just like everybody's old uncle. Otis Campbell, he looked like my Uncle John. Andy Griffith looked like my Uncle Lawrence. These, uh, these people were real. Barney Fife, I've met four or five people who look like the Barney Fife prototype. 
What happened to shows like Bonanza? Like little Joe Cartwright. Now, there's a guy, I bet, who ate a lot of carbs. Little House on the Prairie. A show that'll, that'll kind of make you cry, and then it'll make you scratch your head at how corny it is. Or the Waltons. God bless the Waltons. What happened to I Love Lucy? I Love Lucy. It don't get any better than I Love Lucy. Or Gunsmoke. My father used to come home every evening after work and after he'd water the old rose bushes. He would sit down at the, at the couch, our little tan, ugly couch. He would flip on the TV and he would watch Gunsmoke. And I bet they would laugh Marshall Dillon out of the Long Branch Saloon today. One of the high points of my life, actually, is visiting uh, Dodge City, Kansas, and attending a Gunsmoke dinner theater and getting my picture made with Miss Kitty. That was a good day. But Gunsmoke wouldn't even make it on the streaming online service today, I, I believe. I believe we've come too far. I don't think we can go back. I don't think there will be another show like Perry Mason or Dick Van Dyke. I don't even think there'll be another show like Family Affair. For crying out loud, I would even watch Facts of Life if I had to. My grandmother loved Facts of Life. Those plots were just so simple, so easy. But I guess they're gone. I guess they're gone. But sometimes, late at night... I will go into my living room. I'll sit down. And I will turn off that little box that makes me connect to my streaming service that I pay a pound of flesh for every month that I don't use. And I will find me a channel. A channel that has this little, little icon on the bottom. And I know when I see that little, little badge on the bottom that they're going to be playing some old movies and old TV shows. And I'll stop scrolling right there. No matter what song. If it's black and white, I stop. Because I know what it's going to be. It's going to be that theme song of a whistling person. And I'll see an old familiar sight. That man in the county khaki uniform walking with his son and two fishing poles slung over their shoulder and pine trees looming over that little path and they'll follow that dusty road toward that little pond and Opie Taylor will pick up one rock and he'll throw it at the pond and there'll be a little pause and then a huge splash in the distance. Do you know that that scene was filmed multiple times just to get it right and when Opie Taylor threw that rock there was a man behind the bushes who threw a huge rock in the distance just so the film could capture a splash so that's why when Opie Taylor throws a rock that's about the size of an Aggie marble and the splash that you see in the pond looks like the Loch Ness Monster has just done a cannonball that's why you see it like that I'll watch that show and I will be catapulted way back in time and even though I've seen every episode just about 157 times, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Just like I'll watch old episodes of Bonanza. Just like I will watch old episodes of Gunsmoke. And I'll root for Marshall Dillon even though I know he's going to save the day. Maybe that's what I, what I hate the most about the direction things have gone. And I hate to use that word hate. 
but I do dislike it. I dislike that the good guy don't always win anymore. See, the good guy don't win in real life. We know that. I know that. If the good guy won all the time, life would be, well, it'd be downright perfect. But the good guy doesn't win all the time. But when you watch something, when you watch something on your sofa, and you want to be catapulted into another realm just for a little bit, you want to see good win. You want to see the guy get the girl. And you want to know that there's something to this little relationship on the screen that has something else to do with 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 real life instead of which person on the screen ate the fewest carbs in their senior year in high school. Maybe that's why I watch all these old shows. And maybe that's why a few nights ago when I was watching Andy Griffith at about 2 o'clock in the morning because I couldn't sleep, I had this strange sensation come over me. I got very hungry. Hmm, what am I hungry for, I thought. Maybe I ought to go up and go to the kitchen and get some chili cheese Fritos. Or maybe I ought to go, go find me a wooden army man figurine to gnaw on, like I did a long time ago. Or maybe I ought to go water the old rose bushes. Well, I didn't forget. I was telling you about something my wife did for my birthday this year. This year, my wife, for my birthday, after we had visited Mount Airy, North Carolina, where Andy Griffith grew up, on the morning of my birthday, I, I, we were in a hotel, a decent hotel, Hampton Inn and Suites, not bad, not bad. Breakfast tastes like, you know, microwave plastic, but it's okay. It's continental, and that must mean something. Well, I shot out of my bed. Uh, and I got dressed. I went and got my, my little cup of coffee. Came back to the room. My wife was just grinning from ear to ear. She said, I have a surprise for you. Uh, I said, what is it? She said, well, we're going to be staying in Andy Griffith's childhood home tonight. I said, do what? She said, we have rented the little tiny house on Haymore Street, where Andy Griffith grew up, his childhood home. I said, you got to be kidding me. I didn't even know you could do such a thing. She said, oh, yeah, you're going to love it. Well, we drove across town to, to Haymore Street, East Haymore Street, I think it was, and it's underneath a large water tower. It's ugly. I ain't going to lie to you. It is nasty. It's not, a, it's not disgusting, but it's not a pretty part of town. Either. This is the kind of part of town where you see all sorts of cars parked uh, that look like cars your Uncle John uh, uh, might drive. The kind of car where you might expect Uncle John and Aunt Eula to, to hop out and start arguing about, you know, over something like him making eyes at the waitress. <laughs> we sat inside that house and fell asleep that night in the same bedroom that Andy Griffith fell asleep in when he was growing up. It was special. It was special. On the walls, they had pictures of things like his birth certificate and his graduation photos. And they had an Andy Griffith board game. And to tell you the truth, the house itself was disgusting. 
I don't mean that as a, as a criticism because I would have been very disappointed had the house been flawless and pure and, 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 and doctored up. But the house was just kind of nasty, had this funky smell. And you caught the sense when you were in there that this house was a lot like the house you grew up in, the house I grew up in. This was not just some plasticized Hollywood reproduction. And maybe that's why I like old Andy. That and I know for a fact that Andy Griffith ate plenty of carbohydrates. Thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich. And man, it's been a bona fide pleasure, if I do say so myself. This episode was brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition my family dating back to my granddaddy once said the best cure for idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a case knife. That music here behind me today was the Blue Eyed Bettys, Daniel Emmond, Sarah Hund, and Ben Mackerel. These guys aren't just good, they are so, so good, it will make your ears feel tickled. Do yourself a favor and look them up at Blue Eyed Bettys.com. You will not regret it. To find anything more about what I need, visit Sean of the South Show.com. And there you can find archived episodes dating back to my very first episode all the way to this thing that you just heard. Though I don't know why you must have terrible tastes in podcasts. And while you're there, hope you take the time to drop me a line, tell me about your birthday announcements, wedding invitations, and potluck socials. And one day when I get back to doing a live show, I'll read them over the air for my friends because I love to do that sort of stuff for my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, wherever you go, there you are. So don't go wherever you aren't. Think about that. Adios.